Greetings and welcome to What is California, a podcast featuring conversations with notable Californians in a quest to understand the Golden State. I'm your host, Stu Van Aersdale. On this episode, we are joined by Justin Ray. Justin is the author of the Essential California Newsletter at the Los Angeles Times. He is a native of Ohio, Cincinnati more specifically. Uh, The Super Bowl was not easy on poor Justin, but uh, he's also a veteran of the news business in New York and Chicago and got to L.A. about three years ago and has been working on the Essential California Newsletter for most of the last year. It is an indispensable resource for anyone interested in news and notes about California. Uh, One of the great newsletters about the state. Um, You know, he's the third author of that newsletter. He was preceded by Benjamin Oreskes, who originated the newsletter, and then Julia Wick uh, was right before Justin. And now Justin has it. And that newsletter kind of, you know, it pulls together a lot of the threads that the LA Times covers as sort of the kind of de facto California newspaper of record, but also stories and themes from outside the LA Times from around the state as well from other outlets. And so it's kind of a a one-stop shop in a lot of ways. I mean, you can just read this newsletter. Of course, I would recommend reading a lot of different ones about California. There's a lot of good ones out there. But what I really like about Essential California and Justin's work in particular is the tone and the point of view, you know, because there are so many California newsletters, uh, it's, it's tough sometimes to stand out. And Justin's got this really winning tone, this kind of wry perspective on things, uh, kind of a dry point of view sometimes, kind of a matter of fact, but also very winking about what it knows about California and its people. But it's also really well reported. You know, um, the Essential California newsletter is, I think, a little bit unique in the kind of firmament of California newsletters in the sense that Justin does a lot of original reporting. This a lot of curation too, a lot of maybe aggregation of big stories like I was mentioning, but Justin will also do series. You know, he recently did a series about black police chiefs around California. He did some reporting about the Dunbar armored heist in 1997, the largest cash robbery in American history that was in Los Angeles. He did some reporting on that, kind of a true crime style newsletter series. You know, his point of view, his taste, and his voice stand out in ways that I, I don't know if you get from a lot of other newsletters. Again, there, there are a lot of really good ones, but I like Central California uh, for that reason in particular. And I wanted to bring Justin on to talk about how he actually puts this newsletter together, how he decides how much of his voice to put in, how much of his voice to leave out, uh, how much of a perspective he wants to bring to his view of California that comes out Monday through Friday. And, you know, I mean, just the the technical part of it. I mean, how do you absorb all of this information from around the state that's coming at us so fast, so furious, so voluminously and pull it together Monday through Friday to put together something that's illuminating, enlightening and enjoyable for an audience? It ain't easy. So uh, he'll tell us all about it. And I look forward to sharing this conversation with you. Meanwhile, uh, just a quick vibe check. How's everyone doing? You all right? I have COVID. Can you hear it in my voice? Um, I have stopped this recording just a few times over the last few minutes just to cough and clear my throat. Uh, I think I'm on the downswing of my illness. I tested positive last week and I tested positive again yesterday. Today is Tuesday. So let's see. Monday positive. I'll test tomorrow. I hope to get back to normal later this week, but it's no fun. I'm just blessed to be vaccinated um, and boosted because I cannot imagine what this would be like without that. I definitely sympathize with folks who had to weather this kind of stuff before the vaccinations, before the boosters. Um, You know, it's not pretty. It's no joke. But you know what? It's going to be okay. I'm going to be all right. So 
I hope you're doing better. Hope you're healthy. Hope you're happy. It is beautiful weather in Sacramento right now. Beautiful. What is California HQ? And um, yeah, hopefully get out to enjoy it a little bit more once I have shaken this miserable disease. You can always reach out to me, send me, uh, you know, get well wishes at hello at what is California.com. I'd love to hear from you as always. Until then, without further ado, here is me with Justin Ray on what is California. Enjoy. Justin Ray from the LA Times, welcome to What is California. It's so great to have you here. I want to get into your work with the Essential California Newsletter, but first, let's talk a little bit about your California story. I know you're not from here originally. Where are you from and how and when did you arrive in the state? Okay, um, so yeah, I'll start from the very beginning. I was born in Cincinnati, Ohio, um, and then pretty soon after I was born, uh, my family uh, my mom, my dad, and my older brother, we moved uh, to California. And so basically for 10 years, uh, starting when I was a toddler, I was living like in San Ramon, which I don't remember very well uh, because, you know, I was so young. Uh, but after that, we moved uh, to a farm in Fresno, a walnut farm specifically. Uh, and that's uh, where I really have these vivid memories of you know, working on the farm, uh, digging out rows uh, for uh, the different trees, fighting gophers. Uh, we lived uh, next to this guy who also had a, had a grape vineyard. So I remember he used to smoke um, the grapes to make raisins. Um, and I just, I remember that smell so vividly. Uh, and he used to give us uh, raisins. They were dirty and his hands were like cracked, like from like working. But we were just, I mean, we didn't know any better. We just ate them. And yeah, it was, I, I remember those times. They were really, really fond memories uh, from my childhood. You had to find gophers? What was that about? Oh my gosh, gophers. Those gophers were really aggressive. Uh, they basically, they would uh, chase us. We would have to like put bombs inside of their holes because they wow. would dig underneath the trees uh, and then like really harm these trees. So my dad and I, we used to just like go around and he's like, okay, like I need you to, um, like there would be like two uh, sides to the, tunnel that they created so he's like okay i need you to be like on one uh, side and like have a shovel and hit it when it comes out okay so you put the bomb in and then i'd have to chase it because i'd be afraid to hit it so <laughs> then i'd miss and then i'd have to like chase this gopher around <laughs> how old were you Oh man, gosh, I don't, I don't remember four or five, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. So you're on like yeah. gopher bomb extermination duty and you're like, you can, you're four or five years old. You're just like running out the shovel and it's like, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Would that be your earliest memory of California or is there an even earlier one? I mean, it, it would definitely be that. Uh, I also remember we had this, um, because the, um, there were just like acres of farmland I remember my brother and I, we used to play baseball um, and we would play baseball with tennis balls. And I remember I used to just launch those tennis balls so far and I thought I was so good. You know, and then I got older and then realized now I'm garbage. It's just because like, yeah, the, they were compensating for my lack of skill. <laughs> and what part of L.A. do you call home today? So I live in Hollywood um, and I live like a few blocks away from the strip. So like, I'm like right there. <laughs> How do you like it? You know, it's it's um, it's interesting because, 
you know, growing up in small towns, I didn't know anything about anything. I'd never been to LA. Um, and I just remembered um, American Idol, you know, they used to tell people, congrats, you're going to Hollywood. And they're like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. Then like when I finally lived in Hollywood, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Like that's not what this is. It's like, I learned that what, like what they were, the image they were portraying Hollywood as being is basically what Beverly Hills is. It's one of my favorite neighborhoods because it really gets to the core of uh, my main complaint when it comes to this city, which is that um, we sort of sweep a lot of the terrible things under the rug. But, you know, it's, you know, Hollywood has a lot of uh, homelessness. It's, um, a, it's a place in the city in which, like, you know, uh, it's not, I, I wouldn't call it dangerous, but, you know, it's not as glamorous as it's portrayed in, you know, different media. Uh, and, you know, honestly, I, I love that. Uh, I, I love living within those two different environments. So let's talk about the newsletter, okay. uh, Essential California. You're, you're the author of the Essential California newsletter from the Los Angeles Times. What exactly is Essential California? So, yeah, what is it? Um, it is our uh, flagship daily newsletter where it's broken up into two main different parts. One is a story that I will write uh, and then below that are links to different um, stories just to keep people up to date on the current happenings of uh, the state. So what the purpose of the newsletter is, is basically just to tell you the top news of the state, but also to explain how different happenings in the state relate to, relate to like the cultural zeitgeisty things that are happening. It's trying to fulfill a lot of different things, but so far it seems as if uh, what my different take on the newsletter is resonating with readers. How, how so? So the thing is, is that I personally, I, I know that there are a lot of different daily newsletters out there that are covering the top news of the state. And I surveyed them and I realized that they kind of write about the same things. And... I just thought, and I pitched this to uh, our managing editor, Shelby, um, and I pitched this to Kimmy when she was at the Times, I, and I just told them, I want to write about different topics. I want to I just stretch the limits. I want to see, you know, I want to write about things that you might not have heard of, be that, you know... Um, some trial uh, in Los Angeles for male birth control or some crazy thing that's happening in a small town in California. I want to tell you about new things. I had the idea that there were a lot of people who felt the same way, that we are getting a lot of the same uh, stories about Newsom, about coronavirus. And, you know, I don't think people want another newsletter to talk about that. I mean, really, that's not servicing our readers. So I just decided to do those kinds of stories that are sort of um, offbeat, off the wall about communities you wouldn't normally hear about. And yeah, it, it seems as if it's 
working. So what's the response been? What have you heard from readers? So it definitely took some time for people to understand what I was doing. Um, You know, and I I think that a lot of people wanted to hear about different areas in the state and just hear about different. I remember I wrote this story about a teacher who stopped a stabbing um, in a school. And I mean, it's this harrowing tale and it was one of my favorite stories just because I talked to this guy who, you know, he's never talked to reporters before. And he's still like, you can hear he's still in shock over the whole situation, you know, all the blood that was on the scene. And, you know, just like he put his life in danger, but he didn't see it that way. I mean, these are the kinds of stories that I think people would love to hear, but there's so much pressure to serve similar content because really it is nerve wracking for me. I'm just thinking, I don't know how people are going to react to this. Are people just going to say this is frivolous? But, you know, it, I do think that uh, there is value in just hearing, seeing the diversity of the state. Yeah. And it's interesting how your predecessor, Julia Wick, was a native Angelino, just an amazing writer, yes. but focused in large part on the city of Los Angeles and yes. kind of the the area around Southern, just Southern California in general. You know, your version of it is definitely more expansive. Like this is the whole state. And I think it's in part because you're not a native Angelino. And, and so you're kind of taking on the whole expansive view of the state, whereas as opposed to that kind of, you know, localized native perspective. Does that sound about right? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I do want to say really quickly that um, the two people who wrote this newsletter before me, just amazing people. They have, I mean, Julia has held my hands like throughout this whole process. She is also a fantastic writer. She's, you know, I mean, part of the reason why I chose a different direction because I was like, I can't, that's her lane. I can't, you know, it's like, I'm not going to touch that. You know, like that's, that's Whitney. I'm happy being Mariah. I've got my own things, you know, I've got my own hits, you know, it's fine. Um, And I, (laughs) and I also want to say like another person who has been fantastic during this whole process is Ben Oreskes who wrote it before Julia. I was like, yeah, so, you know, I, I, I want to report on homelessness in Skid Row and I was, and he just like says, go there. I'm just like, well, yeah, but I also, he's like, go there. Like you want to report on it, go there. That's what you need to do. Right. I mean, and you know, I, I just like, uh, yeah, I've just like really appreciated those two helping me, uh, throughout the way. When you are doing a newsletter called essential California, that kind of confers, you're going to be ingesting a lot of information about California and kind of Mm -hmm. processing it for your audience. So how is that? done? What is the workflow like to write something called Essential California? Oh my gosh, how long can this podcast be? This is a hard, hard thing, like coming up with these different subjects, because I mean, I know Julia said it to me, but I just like, you don't know it until you do it. Just writing something every day. It is, it's, it's hard because it's like, I want to do certain stories, but I know I just don't have the space or the bandwidth in order to really do a certain story justice. You can basically write a nut graph and that's it. (laughs) What's a nut graph for for our listeners? uh... A nut graph uh, is the paragraph in a piece that tells you what the piece is about. So usually uh, a, a lot of times, like you'll start off with some sort of like story, you know, 
uh, Marilyn Smith, like, was, uh, whatchamacallit, at home one day, and, like, you know, she went outside, and she started smelling, like, this smell, you know, uh, and she lives in Carson, and then eventually get to the paragraph where it says, like, Carson, you know, uh, the water there uh, has all these toxins, and it's creating this, like, smell that is really bothering residents. It's basically just the fundamentals of the piece. So I can only really do that in my newsletters. I have to have a really sharp focus, and I can't really, um, yeah, I can't really go incredibly deep on certain topics. But about, like, the formal process, it's, like, basically... I will come up with an idea, uh, usually on a day-to-day basis, I'm working on two or three different ideas and once, and just like try to like stagger it so that I do have something every single day. Um, uh, sometimes I'll talk to my uh, editor, Reed Johnson, who is fantastic, by the way, the best editor I've ever worked with. Um, and like, you know, I'll have a panic attack and he's like, it's not that big a deal, you're gonna be fine. And then like, once I have the piece, He'll edit it. Um, there will be a, uh, whatchamacallit, then like it'll be seen by like some other uh, copy editor. Yeah, then that's like pretty much like how the sausage is made. How do you determine what goes in the newsletter? Do you have like 8,000 tabs open on your browser and you're like, okay, this one, this one, this one, ooh, this one's not going to make the cut. You have stuff kind of like on the bubble. How's that work? It's really hard. It's really hard, man. I mean, like, I mean, just talking about it. Do you have like a set amount of slots in your newsletter template? And like, you know, I can only fit so many stories in here every day? Yes. Yes, that's how it happens. I remember when I first uh, got the job, Julia's like, okay, all right, get on your computer. And she's like, okay, Google alert for like uh, Fresno, Google alert for Stockton, Google alert for California immigration, Google alert to set them all up. Like, and she just like gave me all that. Um, I also look at like Reddit channels, like Reddit California. Um, there's also like a coronavirus California Reddit channel. There's also, I also listen to a lot of podcasts where I get a lot of ideas from. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I, I have a lot of conversations with strangers. That sounds weird. Um, but I get a lot of story ideas from just like people talking about things. Like what? I, I mean, I, I remember talking to someone about like, just how we have about like the police presence in certain places. And I remember someone was talking about like, yeah, we had police officers at our school. And I was like, wow, I haven't even thought about that. Like, you know, what are the implications of having police officers at schools? And that led to like this piece. It's like, to me, it's like a bit of a touchy, it's not a touchy, it's just a sore spot because it was the newsletter I worked the hardest on, the longest on, talked to the most people and nobody read it. It was just, oh, and it was no. all, yeah. Which one was that? It, it was about police officers at Fresno schools and sort of tying that into like what the, what national studies say happens whenever um, that occurs. So, well, you also recently covered the, you did a series on yes. the Dunbar heist, right? And yeah. that was unique to the newsletter. I've never seen that in, in a daily newsletter. Can you elaborate a little bit on what that was about and how that originated? Yeah. So basically, uh, uh, what had happened was I uh, was spitballing with my parents about this uh, whole newsletter. 
And I remember, um, I believe this is how it happened. It was like, my dad's like, why don't you do a series? I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And so, uh, you know, my dad's a jazz musician. He's a very creative person. And so uh, what I thought about was, what are some stories, like what is going to hold people throughout like four different episodes? And so I thought, you know, what, what about like some sort of heist? You know, everybody loves a heist story. Um, and so... Yeah, basically, there were five men who broke into uh, this facility that uh, had a whole bunch of cash from like, um, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, ATMs and stuff like that. And basically, they were able to steal nearly $19 million worth of cash, uh, took it away uh, in a U-Haul. Um, but what they were able to do is they were at a party uh, in Long Beach uh, prior to the robbery. And basically they slipped out, like did the robbery, then came back. And then like, of course, you know, by that time people were incredibly lit. So they probably were like, yeah, I remember him. He was there. He was there the whole time. So yeah, it was kind of clever, but they ended up getting busted because they um, left something at the scene. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, that that series actually did extremely well for us to the point where now I have to come up with another one. So, you know, got to feed the people. <laughs> How did you know about the Dunbar Heist? Because, I mean, this didn't happen yesterday. That's a good question. No, it did not. No, it happened 25 years ago. How did I find out about that? I think I think it's because I really love true crime. I love true crime. Don't judge me. But... Uh, you know, if, if you love true crime, you learn about certain cases, certain staples, Manson family, Hillside Strangler. But then you find out also about like these different heists that have happened. So that's I think that's how I found out about it. And that probably comes from listening to a lot of podcasts, reading yes. a lot, you know, talking to people and just kind of absorbing all that information, which I think exactly. would probably be a trait or at least a pastime that comes in very handy Oh, absolutely! when you're doing a daily newsletter and you've got to yes. have like, you got to feed that beast. You just you know, having that in that st stimuli and that kind of intake would really help a lot. Um, sometimes I'll get ideas for uh, newsletters by looking at a story that we did and broadening it out. So for instance, we did a story that was about um, police officers not getting vaccinated. So I was like, okay, well, why don't we do a story that's about like, you know, different police officers in like different uh, places in the state. And I did, you know, contact all of them. Um, that was a fun story. <laughs> why? Because I, I know this is a weird thing to say, but it's always interesting to me to talk to the police. In fact, I have a whole series that's coming out soon. That's uh, where I talked to three different police chiefs of color um, and just had these like really interesting in-depth conversations. I don't, and because I thought to myself, a lot of uh, police chiefs only talk to the public when something bad happened. Nobody sits down with them and and has like a long conversation about what they believe in. And it's like, you know, what are we getting wrong about policing? And specifically with them all being pe uh, people of color, it's like, well, you know, what what is that like? I mean, how do you experience conversations about policing as a person of color? Um, so, yeah, uh, that that's going out soon. But yeah, that, that was a fun because I, I just yeah, I, I think. Um, policing right now is a very interesting subject. That gets me to my next question about the themes that recur in essential California, because there are these themes that recur in California that we see 
over and over again, whether it's homelessness, you've mentioned COVID and cops, you know, law enforcement kind of merged recently. Uh, There was the recall. That was a big thing for Mm -hmm. a month or so. These themes that recur, um, I guess, what are the biggest themes that you've observed in your time doing this newsletter? And how have you tried to kind of treat them uniquely and, you know, uh, substantially? That is a big question. I'm going to talk about just like ideas. And there's two that I think I want to talk about. One being this idea that like evil exists with a capital E. What I mean by that is I believe that there are people who think that, uh, and this comes from the police chief's, um, a conversation I had with the police chief, um, where he told me there are people who believe that there are police officers who wake up every single day and figure out like, how can I harm citizens today? But that, that is like, you know, if that isn't um, a frequent occurrence, uh, like that, that's, that's not what happens. You know, another thing a police chief said is that basically uh, we see these instances of police brutality and it definitely is a problem, but there might be a discrepancy between like the millions of views that like one video will get and like how actually often that happens. I think that. Um, one thing that like, I just like have been thinking about a lot is just how we'll paint with a broad brush and say like, these people are just evil. These people are just like, you know, trying to do terrible things to people. But I think that that is, um, sort of, it's misguided because if it's, it's just that we have to get rid of evildoers, like that's easy. Like we just fire them and then the problem's done. I think the problem is it's structurally like there are like ways in which like we operate structurally that are creating so much damage. Um, I think that's a problem. And I think that's a problem that we see in a lot of different issues where we just believe that I think like that, like lends to partisanship. It's just like, you know, these people are evil. And it's like, no, if you really do think about like, if you treat the person like another person and just like see ideologically how they might have gotten to the place that they are, that is how we have a conversation and achieve like common understanding. I think that's really important. It's it's important not to like uh, villainize the other side of however you think, because it's like we're not going to um, achieve common understanding if we just like see each other as just like enemies. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, but if they're evil, I mean, they're not, they're, they're villainizing you and they're not going to have as, you know, um, magnanimous or accommodating a point of view as you have, right? It starts with one person. Trust me, I've had conversations with people where, you know, you realize if you just treat that person like with respect and just like try to understand where they're coming from, I think like even just like that kind of attitude that you're talking about, like, yeah, no, like we got to get rid of that. I think that's uh, really Um, it's impeding us from having meaningful conversations. The second thing I wanted to talk about is basically misinformation. And I do think that California is a state that doesn't put enough weight on misinformation. So like Prop 22. um, What's Prop 22? Prop 22 um, was a law that was uh, for um, Uber and Lyft, basically these ride-sharing companies, 
basically, it would make it so that uh, these people who were working for them would be independent contractors. And basically, what I believe is that people didn't understand the law, and so they voted in favor of these ride-sharing companies. And that was largely because of campaigns by those companies. And so, yeah, I mean, if you understood it and you voted for them, okay, like that's different, but I'm not confident that is what happened there. Um, yeah, I, I think that we need to really put more weight on misinformation, especially when it comes to things like um, like uh, crime, crime in cities. I mean, that it's a, it's a big topic. But I just think that if you understand statistics and just like I said about like, you know, videos, like getting a lot of views don't necessarily correlate to like what is actually happening on the ground. I mean, that's another example of that where, okay, like we hear of this like really terrible case, but how often does that happen? How often does that, you know, brazen robbery happen in broad daylight? You know, I, I think it's important for us to see the forest and not just the trees. What else has your work revealed to you about California that you found most compelling or surprising? Um, how comfortable uh, Californians are with money and politics, honestly. I, I just, I don't know. It was like, I mean, I, everybody sort of just like heard the French laundry catastrophe and just like sort of moved on. But it, for me, it was just like such an interesting situation because it's like here... Like, um, you know, the governor, like he already knows he's on thin ice and he goes to this like lavish restaurant, you know, where, you know, the cheapest seats are $350, you know, and that's if you like sit indoors, it's even more outdoors and that's before wine. And like, I understand that, you know, politicians do this all the time. And then like the San Francisco mayor having to also apologize because she was also there. It's like, what? Like, what? what? It's just, yeah, it's just like crazy. I don't know. I mean, look. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, yeah, rules for thee, but not for me. I mean, I think that is a distinctly California phenomenon. I mean, I think it's yeah. everywhere, but when we see it in California, we see it as, you know, prominently and really as a, uh, just grotesquely as I think yeah. it actually can be done. Yeah. Right? I just like, yeah. Think of we are um, just like all these like crazy, just like corruption, like oh, yeah, money sure. things. It's just, did you see the LA taco of course. series or, or story about all the different places where we did the deals and the res restaurants in LA? It was a fantastic story. It was, it was so clever. Well, I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, if you're listening and haven't seen that, uh, it's, it's a masterpiece of the genre. It's Absolutely. really, really great. Who are some of the specific Californians who've impacted or influenced who you are and the work that you do? I would say Travel Anderson uh, has been very important to the work that I do. Travel Anderson is a, a journalist who worked at the Times. I forgot when they worked at the Times, uh, but they currently work for uh, Crooked Media doing the daily podcast, uh, What a Day. And it's just, their work is so important to this industry. Um, I think it's just important that this industry does diversify, um, but it really does take journalists going out there and blazing a path so that others will believe in similar people's talents. Because they, uh, when it comes to uh, 
the Black queer people who have worked at the Times, Travel Anderson, they've done so much. Uh, and I gave Travel love on social media because I don't think the Times would have hired me uh, for this position had Travel not blazed a path. Are there any outside the journalism industry who have influenced or impacted you? Um, I would say Oakland's police chief, uh, Laron Armstrong. Um, I'm really excited about getting that interview out there. Um, I'm just really encouraged by him because he's uh, the first native Oakland uh, police chief uh, to serve in the position. And during our conversation, he was just so real. He was so candid. And he um, told me about just the experience of being a black man uh, in uh, America right now and also a police chief. I remember when he told me one of the big the, uh, thing, the parts of the interview that resonated with me the most was um, him talking about walking by uh women who then clutched their purses and like, or like people would lock their cars whenever he would walk by. It's like, wow, that's interesting. It's like, you know, here I am, the police chief. And, you know, that doesn't mean I'm not a black man. And uh, yeah, it, it really, it meant a lot to me, to be perfectly honest, because I think that um, throughout, throughout my career, I have experienced, I mean, this is the first time I've ever been able, that people have ever believed in me uh, when I worked for a news outlet. And, it, you know, it didn't matter how hard I worked, I would just see um, other people get opportunities. And it doesn't, it's not lost on me that, um, you know, I got this position right after we had this well-publicized racial fallout. And it leaves me thinking, you know, like what terrible thing has to happen to a black person for me to move up? And I know that's hard to hear for you and for listeners, but let me tell you, it's even harder to live. And just for him to talk about that, it just it it just like really helped me in like realizing that I'm not alone and struggling with like living in this world, not only as a person who works hard, but as a person who is a black man. What is the biggest challenge that you think California faces? And I know you haven't been here that long, but I'm curious in your coverage, what you have deduced might be the biggest challenge California faces and maybe how can it be surmounted? I think the biggest problem California faces is um, people who have means need to care about people who do not have means. I, I think that uh, if I, I've been thinking, I'm going to tell you one of my biggest secrets, um, which is that I don't have a car. Because I don't have a car, I see a lot of people on the street. And I've had lots of interactions with people on the street. And I'm very confronted with the fact that there is so much wealth inequality. I think a lot of people are just in their cars and they don't have to see it. They don't have to engage uh, with these people, you know, who like may not have had great choices in, in their life. They may not have come from places where, you know, they uh, were able to um, satisfy their very basic needs. 
And I, I think that for a lot of people who live in the state, like because they don't have to see it, they don't care about it. I, I just I really hope that we can be a lot more compassionate uh, in the future. So the idea is that people with means need to adopt a more compassionate outlook as opposed to kind of enclosing themselves or cloistering themselves in settings that allow them to ignore it. Yeah. I think one thing is that a lot of people will blame people for their own problems. Um, I think we're also very punitive. Um, and, and I say that so I remember, I will never forget this for as long as I live. Um, because I'm looking at a lot of local news, I'm also looking at, you know, their Facebook page, pages, stuff like that. And I remember there was this one post like in some town in California where it said, oh, beware um, this holiday season, you know, around Christmas, like the police are going to be out there in full force pulling over, you know, drunk drivers. And then someone commented and said, why would you tell people that? You know, why would you warn them? And I thought that was so interesting because that says so much. That says so much if you break that down. Because the thing is, the police are telling people so you don't have drunk drivers. Isn't that the point of it? We don't want drunk drivers on the road. Um, but we are so narrow-minded about like, oh, we've got to put people, we've got to incarcerate people, we've got to catch them, that people would think, no, we don't want to tell people so we can like get more people drunk driving. Right, <laughs> right. Let them drive drunk so we can catch them and throw them in jail because that's really the default mode in California, right? Exactly, exactly. Isn't that so silly? You know, it's like, that's how- It's weird. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of that before. It's really interesting. Yeah. So what, in your experience discussing California with other people outside the state, what do you find that they most misunderstand about California? That we don't have the same kinds of issues that other states do. I, I think that people think that, you know, there is this sort of like um, idealistic sort of like um, vision of California that people outside of the state have that, you know, yeah, we... We, um, whatchamacallit, we le legalized marijuana, you know, we uh, want to become this haven for people who are obtaining abortions. Like, you know, we uh, are incredibly progressive, um, especially like in cities, that's what people think. And actually, like, you know, I'm from Cincinnati, you know, people just think, oh, that is like what California is like. But, you know, we also have uh, areas that are just ideologically and politically different. Um, and those areas have power, they have influence. Um, and I would even, I would also say that I also, um, it's worth mentioning just that the conservative, uh, the conservative areas um, are very united. They're a very united front, you know? And, um, you know, the thing is, is that like, uh, I, I feel like there are different strands of liberalism, like in California, but like the conservatives, they're pretty like in lockstep. So yeah, I, I think that's something that people misunderstand. Yeah. I mean, they misunderstand there's a conservative movement at all. Like they yes, just think it's like a blue monolith. There's a spectrum on the blue side. You know, there's not a polit political spectrum necessarily for everything, you know, from left to right. There is a political spectrum on the left and then there is the right. Yes. <laughs> like you were just saying. That's it, you know? Exactly. Exactly. 
finally, we end every episode with the same question for all guests. Who is your favorite Californian, past or present, and why? Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine. I, wow. I okay. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm throwing a curveball. Yeah, I I have so when I was growing up, my brother uh introduced me to a lot of like rap and rock. And I just I remember uh Rage Against the Machine being this like incredible force, not only like sonically, but also as musicians, they were talking about um, marginalized people. They were talking about the um, the terrors of capitalism, uh, corporate America, slavery. They were doing all this before it was cool. And I, I, I really uh, just appreciated having that kind of um, knowledge and information. It really did prepare me for being a journalist because... You know, I think what people don't understand is that a lot of history is is the history of political power and not necessarily representative of everybody's history. So being uh, exposed to another way of thinking at an early age helped me see those who may not have had a voice in the past. That's a great answer. (laughs) Very good one. I like that. Justin Ray from the Los Angeles Times. It's been great having you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. All right, there you have it. Justin Ray. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate you dropping by. If you don't read Essential California, you should because, well, it is essential California. Uh, Legit essential. And uh, so is the LA Times. All the work they're doing right now is really good. And uh, I hope you'll consider subscribing. It's an important publication in California and Uh, Everyone who works there could really use your support. And um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. What is California is produced, edited, and hosted by me, Stu Van Airsdale. Our theme music is by Sound Supreme. You can follow us on Twitter at WhatCalifornia and subscribe to the newsletter on Substack for free at whatiscalifornia.substack.com. That will get you a free podcast episode in your inbox every Thursday and a free roundup of cool California stories in your inbox every Friday. Again, did I mention it's free? It doesn't cost you a dime. I'd appreciate it if you subscribe. Whatiscalifornia.substack.com. You can support What Is California on Patreon at patreon.com slash whatiscalifornia. If you want to chip in a few shekels to keep the cloud servers running, keep our headquarters cat fed, And you can always email me anytime at hello at whatiscalifornia.com. If you want to send love notes, hate mail, questions, comments, suggestions, other things I haven't even thought of yet, I'd be most grateful for your correspondence. Remember to please subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And if you liked What Is California, I'd love it if you rated and reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts. It does help new listeners find us. That is a wrap from What is California HQ in beautiful Sacramento, California. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'll catch you next time. Until then, remember, as always, keep your eye on the bear. Bear.